you're, if you're kind of new to church, um, let me explain what's about to happen. Um, this is kind of one of the high points of what we do on a Sunday is we like to open up the Bible because we believe this is God's word to us, that he's speaking to us. And, and I'm, I'm going to preach it. I'm going to explain it, talk about it. We're going to explore together what it means, what's going on, and particularly think about what is God wanting us to believe? What's he wanting us to do? How does this change how we view ourselves in the world and everything? So we're going to spend 25 minutes, half an hour together thinking about that. So let me read first what we're going to look at. Mark chapter 15, starting at verse 16. The soldiers led Jesus away into the palace, that is, the praetorium, and called together the whole company of soldiers. They put a purple robe on Jesus, then twisted together a crown of thorns and set it on him. And they began to call out to him, Hail, King of the Jews! Again and again they struck him on the head with a staff and spat on him. Falling on their knees, they paid homage to him. And when they had mocked him, they took off the purple robe and put his own clothes on him. Then they led him out to crucify him. A certain man from Cyrene, Simon, the father of Alexander and Rufus, was passing by on his way from the country. And they forced him to carry the cross. They brought Jesus to the place called Golgotha, which means the place of the skull. Then they offered him wine mixed with myrrh, but he did not take it. And they crucified him. Dividing up his clothes, they cast lots to see what each would get. It was nine in the morning when they crucified him. The written notice of the charge against him read, The King of the Jews. They crucified two rebels with him, one on the right and one on the left. Those who passed by hurled insults at him, shaking their head and saying, So, you who are going to destroy the temple and build it in three days, come down from the cross and save yourself. In the same way, the chief priests and the teachers of the law mocked him among themselves. He saved others, they said, but he can't save himself. Let this Messiah, this King of Israel, come down from the cross that we may see and believe. Those crucified with him also heaped insults on him. I want us to begin, to begin by thinking about public perception. Public perception is very, very important in our modern world. Uh, when politicians are running for office, there's careful management over public perception of, of, the, of the candidate. You know, they employ reams of people to manage the media coverage and that kind of thing. Because we, we're the kind of people who take people at face value. What we see is really important to us. That shapes our perception. Uh, we, we saw this yesterday with Angela Merkel and Trump. You might have seen this um, in the news where they, they'd had their little conference together and they were sitting in the chairs in the Oval Office. And the, um, the media kept saying, shake hands, shake hands, shake hands. And they, Trump just kind of sat there like this and they... And Angela Merkel's kind of like, we're going to shake hands? Well, she probably said it in German. Well, she probably said it in English. Anyway, and, and, and they didn't. And there's this perception of, well, what's wrong? Have they had an argument? Why, why won't they shake hands? The face value public perception really says something to us. One of the reasons Christianity can be so unappealing is because at face value, it, it can look a little bit underwhelming. I think Christ has public relations issues. Maybe that's putting it nicely. For many of us and for many of our friends, 
Christianity and our Christ is just unappealing. Maybe for some pathetic, a little bit stupid at face value, Christianity isn't really worth giving much time. And I think Mark's gospel doesn't really help with the public perception thing, okay? Mark's gospel, if you've been here from the beginning, starts off with this kind of announcement, the lifelong promise God King is here, and you better follow him. And then I think Mark, well, it appears that he completely mishandles Christ's public perception, the public relations. Because at the end of the gospel, where we are now, he doesn't go big on the resurrection, which you think, well, that's a bit you go big on, right? Jesus is alive. He's back from the dead. Go big on that, Mark. But he doesn't. What he goes big on, which is where we are right now, is the bit where there's this utterly miserable and frankly embarrassing death of the hero of the story. Public perception fail, Mark. You know, the world wants a hero, someone with personality, drive, a successful track record. And Christi- Christians go, uh, how about Jesus as the hero? And the world goes, eh, maybe anyone with a bit more bite, with a bit more kind of charisma, a bit less on the embarrassing bit where he gets killed by everybody. And Christianity kind of gets tarnished with the same brush. Christianity with its crucified Messiah feels a bit of a public relations disaster. You know, we, we um, assess prime ministers as to how prime ministerial they are. I don't even knew, didn't know that was a word. Anyway, it is. Is he prime ministerial? It kind of doesn't matter what their policies are. Do they come across like they could kind of face off North Korea? Are they prime ministerial? Well, how prime ministerial, saviour of the world-like is it to be crucified on a cross? A face value, not very. So what are we to make of this? Well, we're going to walk through this story together and at first take it at face value. What did people see and make of Jesus' crucifixion? What do we make of it? What's the kind of initial public perception? And then we're going to change angle, kind of rerun the film, but this time armed with a different perspective. Not the public perception face value, but I want to say, what's God's perception and what's going on here? Then we'll be in a position to figure out Well, just what's going on with Jesus' crucifixion. So first up, let's look at the face value, public perception. And this is what we see. The public perception is that Christ fails. That he fails. Have a look at verse 16. The soldiers led Jesus away into the palace, that is the praetorium, and called together the whole company of God. So it starts with a few hundred soldiers versus one man everybody hates. Then it gets cruel. Jesus is being executed for claiming to be the king of the Jews. That is, he's claiming to be God's long-promised savior of the world. And the Roman soldiers think this is hilarious. King of the Jews. And he's been given to us to flog him and crucify him. Okay, king, let's give you a coronation. Verse 17, they put a purple robe on him then twisted together a crown of thorns and set it on him you know in a coronation you need the royal robe royal purple will do he needs a crown to be made king so they twist this crown of thorns caesar the king of the romans he would have had a crown of gold leaf placed on his head ave caesar victor imperator they would have shouted but they kind of twist that do you see it ave jesus hail jesus king of the jews they mock 
See, in their eyes, this is what they see. They see a mock king, and so they give him a mock coronation. A mock coronation. That's their face value perception of Jesus. Then comes the beating. Again and again, they struck him on the head with a staff and spat on him. And between blows, Jesus can hear them still taunting, paying homage. Hail Jesus, Ave Jesus, Victor, King of the Jews. Hit him again. What do you see? Now, at face value, the public perception is, well, it's a mock coronation for a mock king, isn't it? Okay, next up we get the crucifixion. And this guy, um, Simon from Cyrene, poor fella, right? He's just passing by, coming back from his holiday in the country, his country break, and they go, you, you're going to carry Jesus' cross. So he does, right. And then Jesus is taken outside of the city to this place called Golgotha, which means the place of the skull. I mean, if you're going to kill people anywhere, you, put it, you do it in the place called the skull, right? This is outside the city. This is the place where... The Romans would regularly do public executions on crosses. And then we get this little sentence in the middle of verse 20, where's it gone? 24, at the beginning of verse 24. And they crucified him. That's it. That's all it says. We don't get... Passion of the Christ, scale, gory details of what happened. Just the face value fact. What happened? They crucified Jesus, the man who claimed to be king of the Jews. So what's the face value kind of perception we get? Well, it looks like defeat. This is defeat, right? Jesus is crucified. Simple, straightforward. Meanwhile, what are the soldiers doing down below? Verse 24, dividing up his clothes, they cast lots to see what each would get. Jesus loses all his possessions while he's losing his life. He loses everything. Let's keep going with the details at face value. Now remember, the the crucifixion, this was a way that Romans would um, execute criminals in a way that would make a public spectacle of them, you know, to make sure other people didn't commit the same crime. So they would um, write the crime up on a board and stick it on top of the cross so people could say, well, I'm not going to do that because look what happens. You're going to end up on a cross. What's Jesus' crime? Verse 26. The written notice of the charge against him read, the king of the Jews. What do you see? You see a criminal charge. His claim to be God's promised king. So in terms of public perception, imagine you're there. Imagine you walk by. What do you see? You see a man who ticked off the Jewish leaders claiming to be the Messiah and who ticked off the Romans by claiming to be a king, Caesar's king. So what do you see on the cross? You see a criminal with a criminal charge, crucified with two criminals next to him, guilty as charged. You don't see a savior at this point. Now, for those of us as Christians, we look at the cross and go, it's the Savior. But at this point, just imagine you're there. You're just seeing a criminal like any other. What's the last thing on our walk through this story we get? Well, we see the public perception, the face value. We get Jesus' powerlessness. 
his powerlessness. Look at verse 29. People start um, mocking him at this point. Those who passed by hurled insults at him, shaking their heads and saying, So, you who are going to destroy the temple and build it in three days, come down from the cross and save yourself. In the same way, the chief priests and the teachers of the law mocked him among themselves. He saved others, they said, but he can't save himself. Let this Messiah, this King of Israel, come down now from the cross that we may see and believe. Those crucified with him also heaped insults on him. Everyone's mocking Jesus and heaping insults. The public pass by, they see, like we were just imagining we would have done, and they just, they just hurl insults at him, shaking their heads in disgust at this man. And then verse 31, in the same way, we get the chief priests. Now, do you notice, they don't shout insults. Proper cowards. I was, re- I was reading this in the library, and I actually shouted as I read it, what cowards? Because the others at least shout it, but they're like, we're not going to shout the insults because, you know, we're not going to do that. But they say pretty much the same thing to each other. They both essentially say, Jesus, if you come down, that will prove to us that you're powerful. But while you stay pinned up on the cross like a carcass, we're going to come to one conclusion. You're powerless. You're powerless to come down. And you think, Jesus, what are you doing? You could change public perception right now just by coming down from that cross, showing your power. But Jesus doesn't come down. So at face value, they're kind of right. He, he is powerless. Is he, is he a fraud? Is he just a joke? So this is the public perception of Christ's failure. What do we see? We see a mock coronation. We see the defeat of Jesus. We see a criminal charge and conviction against him. And we see that he's completely powerless. Now, it's important as Christians that we, that we recognize that at face value, this is our Christ. And that this is Christianity. It looks like a gigantic fail. And it always has. Let me show you, and you weren't expecting this, some ancient graffiti. Okay. Some of you might have seen this before. This is from about 200 AD. It's weird, right? What, you, what you've got, and it might be hard for you to see, is there's a, there's a man down here, then there's a, a cross, and a man on this cross, and his head is a donkey's head. And the writing says, Alexamenos worships his God. Alexamenos was a Roman Christian who worshipped Jesus. And this is what his 200 AD contemporaries saw when they looked at Christ and his Christianity. They saw him worshipping a dead donkey on a cross. Why would you worship someone the Romans executed? See, the Roman public perception of the cross was that it looked ridiculous. This is how they drew it. It's the same today. We work really hard sometimes as Christians to make Christianity look kind of cool. We're aware of these public relations issues, and so we try to persuade people it's not as weak and as kind of foolish as it looks, right? How do we do this? What are the ways in which we try to spruce up Christianity? One of the things we might do is talk a lot about church, but not a lot about Christ. I think it's easier to make church look impressive than a crucified messiah because you can have branding that sells your church it's very hard to have branding that sells a dead messiah on a cross 
And so you talk to your friends about how awesome things are at church and there's vibrant community. Who doesn't like vibrant community? You can talk about that kind of thing. You're on safe ground. It's a public perception win. But you're not talking about Jesus. You're talking about your church. And there are other Christian ways of improving the public perception issues that Jesus has. And it's really important that we're able to spot them. Uh, This is one I, I, I was spotting recently somewhere. It's much more appealing in our culture to talk a lot about Jesus bringing flourishing and healing and restoration in a way that turns down the volume on sin and its offense and the cross and its shame. You can tell the good news of Jesus in a way that doesn't say anything false, but kind of minimizes these embarrassing bits. That's really hard to spot when that happens. So the problem of sinful offense against God gets eclipsed by our need for physical and relational healing. Now, they're real needs, and real needs that Jesus meets. But our need for societal and relational healing is way more acceptable to our culture than sin against God. I mean, who likes that? But everyone likes healing and people being restored in relationships. And and Jesus brings that, but turn the volume up on that. Or we can talk about Jesus showing us, this is one I saw recently, um, how to be truly human, which Jesus does show us how to be truly human, But then we can talk about that more than him bringing us forgiveness through a bloody cross. Now, none of this is unchristian. None of this is untrue what is being said. But some things, I just think, are more easily cast in a a way that culture is going to like than the cross. It's very hard to cast the cross in a way that makes the world go, hey, yeah, the cross is brilliant. So you talk about the cross less and more about other true things. Please watch out for yourselves. Watch out for your friends. Watch out for us as a church. Watch out maybe when you leave the Globe Church and are looking for another church. Does this place, does this church or any church that you go to talk a lot about Jesus and the cross and our need for forgiveness and that the cross is where that happens? Do they have the volume high on the cross or is it low on the cross and high on everything? Watch out for that. Now, you might be here and you're kind of exploring Christianity and the cross is always, it's the bit about Jesus that's always kind of baffled you. Okay, the, um, the healing bits, yeah, that's good. The power, the, the be still waves thing, great. Jesus is good, he's powerful, I get it. But why do Jesus, Christians keep going on about the cross? Why does that seem so big? Because in your perception, it just looks a little bit odd. I just want to say this. If you, if you want to understand Christianity, you have to understand what's going on at the cross. Stick with that. Go beyond whatever face value perception you have. Go deep. Ask, why did Jesus die? I'm going to come to that a little bit later. Now, there's a, there's a genre of films, which I kind of like, but messes with some people's heads, where um, in the film you, you see the story kind of played out, and then they kind of all go back and do it from a completely different angle with a different character, and you see the whole film in a completely new light. Now, for some people, they're like, what is going on? I've just seen this film, and we're seeing it all over again, and it's not what I thought it was. I love that kind of thing, but it might freak you out. Anyway, but but when you see it from this second angle, from this other character, whatever it is, it just opens up for you to see what's really going on. 
Now, we've already seen the kind of public perception angle on the crucifixion, that it looks like Christ just fails. How do we get another perspective that shows us really what's going on? Or is this it? Is it just a failure? Now, there's a psalm we're going to turn to that I want us to look at, which is going to help us get that other angle. And particularly, I want to say, what does God make of all this? You know, if this is God's king, what does he, does he think it's a failure? What's going on? So, turn with me to Psalm 22 on page 554. So, we're venturing back into the Old Testament. These are psalms are songs that Christians wrote. This one's particularly written by King David. And a lot of these psalms kind of look forward to stuff going on in the New Testament. Now, this one's going to be really important for us. Psalm 22, page 554. Now, this psalm is all about God's king suffering. Now, originally it was about David, but David kind of sets a pattern for Jesus' suffering because Jesus is God's big, ultimate, forever king. So we want to know as we come to this, In Psalm 22, does God just see a failure when the king suffers? Is it for him a mock coronation, or does he see something else? Let's have a look at verses 1 to 2, Psalm 22. My God, my God, why have you forsaken me? Why are you so far from saving me, so far from my cries of anguish? My God, I cry out by day, but you do not answer. By night, but I find no rest. Stop there. Now, those opening words, my God, my God, why have you forsaken me, might be pretty familiar. Next week, we're going to get to those. But Jesus on the cross says those words, which makes us think, okay, we're doing the right thing being in Psalm 22. Jesus is clearly thinking Psalm 22. So what's going on in Psalm 22? Well, the king is being abandoned, forsaken by God in his suffering. Let's keep going. Let's go down to verse 6, see if this sounds any familiar. But I am a worm, not a man, scorned by everyone, despised by the people. This is the king speaking. All who see me mock me. They hurl insults, shaking their heads. Sound familiar? They see the king, they mock uh, mock him, hurl insults and shake their heads. We're getting the same public reaction to the suffering of Jesus. Carry on. Verse 8. Here's what they say. Listen to this. He trusts in the Lord, they say. Let the Lord rescue him. Let him deliver him since he delights in him. This is almost identical to what the people said to Jesus on the cross. They're sort of saying here, oh, the king trusts God. Well, let God prove his power and rescue the king. Oh, Jesus claims to be God's Messiah. Why doesn't he come down from the cross and prove his power? Do you see? It's, It's so similar. Go over to verse 16. Dogs surround me, a pack of villains encircle me. They, get this, they pierce my hands and my feet. All my bones are on display. People stare and gloat over me. They divide my clothes among them and cast lots for my garment. Pierced hands, pierced feet, and they crucified him. And what do people do? They cast lots for his clothes. The king is defeated. So, this is starting to give us another perspective, right? Jesus is experiencing in real detail the suffering of God's king. Abandoned by God, mocked by the people, defeated. Okay, but we're looking for God's perception. What does God make of this suffering king? Look down at verse 22. This is where we get God's perception. 
I will declare your name to my people. In the assembly, I'll praise you. This is still the king speaking. You who fear the Lord, praise him. All you descendants of Jacob, honor him. Revere him, all you descendants of Israel. Here it is. For God has not despised or scorned the suffering of the afflicted one. He has not hidden his face from him, but has listened to his cry for help. People mock, people shake their heads and write Jesus off as a dead donkey on a stick. God, he does not despise or scorn the suffering of the afflicted one. God looks at this suffering and he doesn't despise. He doesn't think it's stupid. He doesn't mock it. His perception is, this is good. I I don't despise my king like everybody else does. Because God's doing something through this suffering. Some people always seem to have a plan. I don't. God does. He always seems to be doing something through suffering. So the suffering of the king at face value looks like a fail, but God knows that the affliction of the king is leading to victory and success. Let's see how it just, it just turns around. Verse 26. This is what the suffering of the king leads to. The poor will eat and be satisfied. Those who seek the Lord will praise him. May your hearts live forever. All the ends of the earth will remember and turn to the Lord. And all the families of the nations will bow down before him. For dominion belongs to the Lord and he rules over the nations. Do you see the turnaround in the situation? Through this shameful suffering of the king comes the whole world worshipping God. That's what's going on in the crucifixion. So here's Psalm 22 in summary. The suffering of the king leads to the worldwide worship of God. Now, with that perspective, flick back to Mark. Mark chapter 15, page 1022. With God's Psalm 22 perception, we can see that the crucifixion, through God's perception, is that Christ is king. Not that Christ fails, but that Christ is king. Let me put it another way. The cross is Jesus' coronation as the saviour of the world. So, instead of a mock coronation, we see that it's the real thing. It's his real coronation. So the soldiers, they think they're having a laugh at the idea of Jesus being king. But you know, as they put the robe on him and make that crown of thorns, they're actually enthroning God's king. The crown of thorns is horrible, isn't it? But don't you think it's kind of suitable in a strange way? Now, if majesty elizabeth ii at her coronation um had had spikes in her crown and it hurt her oh my that hurts that would have been very very strange but for jesus it seems strangely apt because he's the king who suffers to open the doors of his kingdom it's by suffering in our place on the cross that jesus is opening the door for you and me to have a relationship with god he is the suffering king and so it kind of makes sense that his crown hurts even his crown is suffering because he's our suffering king what about the defeat of the crucifixion well we see that it's victory next week we're going to go really deep into what is going on on the cross but i just want to say this for now in jesus being crucified He was achieving our forgiveness. He was winning the day. 
I said earlier that we've got to work hard to go past our kind of face value look at the cross and go, what is really going on? This is what's going on. By being our victim, he was being our saviour. The cross is how God had planned to forgive guilty people like you and me so that we can know God and be with him forever. So at face value, he's defeated. But he wasn't ultimately being defeated. He was beating our sin at the cross. That's what's going on. So at face value, it's defeat. But we see now with that kind of Psalm 22, God's perspective, this is actually victory. Now, there are words in here that now with this new perspective, they kind of change tone. We hear them differently. This this works in life. There are certain words you can say or phrases you can say in different ways. And depending on how it's said, um, changes the meaning. Um, We were doing some drum beat stuff earlier. And um, somebody who will remain nameless, being really cool, said, hey, that's sick. Right? And if you say, hey, that's sick, you're like, hey, that's cool. But if you went, oh, that's sick, that's like, not cool. That's disgusting, right? Or take this one. You can be kind of, great job. Yeah? Great job. Well done. Or you can be, yeah, great job. Yeah, with a sarcasm. Now, some people are so sarcastic all the time when they're being serious and sincere um, it's, hard, it's hard to you know, believe them. But you can say two things in the same way and mean very different things. Three times Jesus gets called the king in this passage. And each time with face value, it's kind of said with venom. Hail, king of the Jews. If he's the Messiah, the king of Israel, he'll come down. The sign, the charge, the criminal charge, king of the Jews. But we hear it differently, don't we? Same words, different tone. Because this is Jesus' coronation. So we read and we say as believers, as Christians, Hail, King of the Jews. The King of Israel. And that sign on the cross isn't his criminal charge. It's Jesus' royal title. He is King of God's people, the Jews. And Psalm 22 tells us through his suffering, he's being made King of all the earth so that all people can come to him. What tone do you read it with? King of the Jews, what's, what's your feeling? Do you read King of the Jews? I don't really understand what that means. Or King of the Jews, you know what, I don't really like Jesus. He kind of deserves this. Or do you see on that sign written, my king, my king, the king of me. At face value, we have a criminal charge, but we can see with God's perception, this is his royal title. Finally, The public perception was that Jesus was powerless. Come down, Jesus, save yourself. Show us how messianic you are and pull out those nails. Come on. Think about it, though. What would have happened if Jesus had come down? He he would have failed his mission because we've already said that by dying on the cross, that was God's mission to save us. He would have failed. You see, he didn't prove himself to be God's Messiah King by coming down from the cross. He proved himself to be God's Messiah King by staying up on the cross. Because that is how he saves us. Of face value, he's powerless. But listen to what Paul says about the cross. To those of us who are being saved, the cross is the power of God. The cross isn't powerless. It is God's power. It's how he rescues us from hell. If you're unsure about Jesus, you might be tempted to come to him with a a kind of list of demands that you 
You need him to fulfill before you believe, to kind of come down from the cross, give me a sign. I want to see some kind of miracle, then I'll believe. Even as Christians, we struggle to believe that God really loves us and cares for us. No, God, I need a bit more. I need some sign. And all the while, the proof is right there in front of us. The cross is the sign you need. The cross is God saying to you, I love you. I've given my son to die for you. You don't need some sign. You need the cross. So the crucifixion in God's perception is that Christ is king. It's his coronation. It's not failure. It's how we get saved. Now, as we finish, I just want to think about us today as 21st century Christians here in London. We need to be ready for our faith to be taken at face value and then mocked and paraded and crucified just like our Messiah. You you might... um, post something up on Facebook about Jesus or say something to a friend or a family member. You might make a lifestyle choice that obeys Jesus but isn't popular with other people. And people will look at what you say and do, take it at face value, and they might not be kind about it. The public perception of us talking about Jesus and the cross and living his way, not the world's way, will not be treated nicely. They were not kind about Christ. They will not be kind about Christians. Now, Don't get defensive. Do you notice Jesus doesn't get defensive? He's being mocked. He doesn't say a word because he knows the value of what God's doing through his suffering. He trusts God. And we don't retreat either. This isn't about churches going, well, other people don't understand the cross, but we think it's really great, but they they all think we're kind of weird and stupid. No, no, no. The only reason that you and I think the cross is precious is because of God's grace helping us see that. This isn't about retreating or getting defensive. And don't stop talking about the cross. What would you say is the public perception of the cross in 21st century London? My guess is it'll probably be somewhere on the range from indifference to hostility. You know, it's, the cross is a bit stupid, a bit silly, hard to understand, to be ignored, through to dangerous and to be opposed. That's probably the scale. No one's going to applaud us and cheer us on for talking a lot about the cross. But don't stop talking about the cross. Trusting in the cross. Being all about the cross. Because despite public perception, the cross is still God's power for salvation for you, for me, and for this city. The cross is still the coronation of the Savior of the world. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, we ask for your help for us to be able to see the cross for what it is. Help us to see your victory, your power for saving us. Thank you that Christ didn't get angry. He didn't get mean with the people who were doing this to him. But he went obediently because he knew that this was victory, even though it didn't look like it. And I pray that we would follow our Savior, that even this week we would stand up for Christ. We would talk about the cross, not just talk about the church, not just talk about football or whatever, but talk about Christ and his cross, 
And we pray that it would be to us and to many people around us the power of salvation, not foolishness, not a fail, but truth that liberates and brings eternal life. Help us to see, trust, speak about, live about, sing about the cross. We ask in Jesus' name. Amen. We're going to sing now and praise our God for his might and particularly worship and praise.